Tonight we're looking at chapter 17 of Knowing God. And one of the things that he mentions at the beginning of the chapter is how can we think of God as being jealous? Because normally when we think of jealousy, that's uh, a sin. That's a vice in humans. And so how can we rightly understand what it means for God to be a jealous God? And he makes a couple of helpful points at the beginning. And that is one is we just need to remind ourselves that nothing is in us as it is in God. So nothing is in the creature as it is in the creator. We are made in the image of God. And in many respects, we have several aspects of our character that are modeled after God's character. Um, but nothing is in God as it is in us. And so God is perfect in wisdom. We, we can have wisdom, but it's so far removed from God's wisdom, isn't it? Uh, we, we can love after the pattern of God's love, but our love is imperfect and faulty and temporary and so far removed from the perfect, infinite love of God. Well, same thing with jealousy. We, we have a, a jealousy. We can express jealousy, but we can do it in a wrong way that is so far removed from the right and proper jealousy of God. Same thing with anger, right? And we've looked at the anger of God. Uh, the anger of God is anger, which is directed against sin. It is a righteous, holy indignation. We can model that rightly, but we can also abuse anger. And we often do. And we, we get angry for the wrong things and we express it in the wrong ways. And so nothing is in us as it is in God. And the second thing that he points us to is we need to be careful to not fall into the trap of letting our own perceptions or our own feelings define what God is or who God is. Because that's the tendency for us is we think of something and we think we see how it is in us and we think there's no way that that could be true of God. And we make our own judgments about who God is or what God could be. But he says, we have to let scripture define that. Let God himself define who he is by what he has told us, how he has spoken. And so not our own feelings, not our own sentiments, our own ideas. That's not what determines who God is. God determines who God is. And he's told us who he is. And so there's much in scripture that reveals the jealousy of God. So we have to let scripture speak and inform us on, on that aspect of God's character. And he points us to Exodus 20 verses four and five, where in the heart, the found, very foundation of God's covenant relationship with the nation of Israel, he says that he is a jealous God. Exodus 24 and five, the second commandment, he says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And so in the very Ten Commandments, the heart of God's covenant with his people, he reveals this aspect of his character. I am a jealous God. In Exodus 34, 14, he says, do not worship any other God. For the Lord, 
whose name is jealous is a jealous God. His name is jealous. So this is not something we can just slide off to the periphery of an aspect of God's character. Say it's not really that important when God himself says, this is a part of who I am. Uh, His name, he says, is jealous. And just a reminder about the context of Exodus 34. That is the time, the situation in which God reveals to Moses who he is. That's the time when God takes Moses and puts him in this little cave, the cleft of the rock. And he says, I'm going to let a portion of my glory pass over you. And as my glory passes in front of you, I'm going to declare my name to you. And he says, I am the Lord, the Lord, the the jealous God, but also a God of compassion and love and forgiving sin. This is who God is. And so J.I. Packer says at this point in the chapter, he says, clearly this unexpected word, jealous, stood for a quality in God, which far from being inconsistent with the exposition of his name that had gone before was in some sense an epitome of it. And since this quality was in a true sense, his name, it was clearly important that his people should understand it. So this is bound up with God's character, who he is. And then he leads us into thinking about the nature of God's jealousy. So how do we rightly understand it then? It is an aspect of God's character. We can't deny that. The scriptures tell us it clearly. So how, do, how should we think of it? How can we think of God as being a jealous God when when we think of it in humans, it's a vice, it's a sin. And he says a couple of ways that we can be helped in thinking about the jealousy of God. One is to remember that the Bible commonly uses uh, anthropomorphisms to speak of the nature of God. What is an anthropomorphism? Basically, it's a way of expressing an attribute to someone or something in terms of human attributes. So we read in scripture of God's ears who, who hear. Well, God's a spirit, doesn't have ears. We, sometimes the Bible will talk about God's arm being mighty to save. God doesn't have an arm. It's, these are anthropomorphisms to express aspects of God's character, but they're communicated in ways in which we as human beings can easily understand. And so God, who is infinite and complex and hard for us to understand through anthropomorphisms is communicated in language that is easier for us to comprehend. So that's one way to help us understand the jealousy of God is to think of God and his attributes in ways in which we operate in which we think we experience jealousy. And so that's one way of communicating God's feelings to certain situations and actions. But he reminds us of a caution with anthropomorphisms. And that is twofold. One caution is, he says, man is not the measure of his maker. So none of the limitations of human creaturehood are implied of God. So whenever we speak of God in human-like terms, anthropomorphisms, remember, God is infinite. We are not. And we are more modeled after God than he is after us. So man is not the measure of his maker. So 
we need to remember that whatever we say of God in terms that we can understand, God is infinite in those things. And he is not uh, bound by those limitations of creaturehood. The second thing he, he says to caution us with understanding anthropomorphisms is that those elements and human qualities which show the corrupting effect of sin have no counterpart in God. So whatever we can say about humanity being made in the image of God, sin has nothing to do with it. So whatever, however human language is spoken of to help us understand qualities or aspects of God, no aspect of sin or corruption should be attributed to it. So God is infinite and he is holy. He is sinless. So in some sense, these anthropomorphisms are incomplete. They're, they're like analogies to help us understand, but they can't communicate the fullness of it. But that's the very nature of who God is. There's no way for us to fully understand who God is, but these are ways that help us. And so he says, God's jealousy is not a compound of frustration, envy, and spite, as human jealousy so often is, but appears instead as a praiseworthy zeal to preserve something supremely precious. So whereas in us, jealousy is often out of envy or spite or selfishness, but in God, it is a praiseworthy zeal to preserve something supremely precious. And so that's the second thing that he's going to lead us into to help us understand the nature of God's jealousy. One is the Bible speaking in anthropomorphic language. But the second thing for us to remember is that there are two sorts of jealousy. Even amongst human beings, there are two kinds of jealousy. And only one of them is wrong. Only one of them is a vice. So there's even a way of speaking in terms of human jealousy that is right. And that is a way to help us understand the jealousy of God. And so he defines two different kinds of jealousy. There is a vicious jealousy. A vicious jealousy is this. I want what you've got and I hate you because I haven't got it. So a vicious jealousy is a selfish and envious of, I see you have something. I want that thing that you have. I envy it. I desire it. And because you have it and I don't, I don't like you. I hate you. So it's, it's a, it's a, uh, a hateful, uh, malignant uh, jealousy. That's mostly self-oriented. So that's a vicious jealousy. That's wrong. That's a vice. That's sin because it's primarily in selfishness and greed and covetousness. But he said there's a second kind of jealousy that in the right situations is right and appropriate. And that is what he calls a zealous jealousy. Or maybe a way of thinking of it is a, a loving, protective jealousy a zealous jealousy. And this is defined not by a covetousness of you have something, I want it, but this is a zeal to protect a love relationship or to avenge it when it is broken. So it is to protect something precious, something sacred. And he, he provides a quote here from commentary on the epistle to James by RVG Tasker, who says this married persons, who felt no jealousy at the intrusion of a lover or an adulterer into their home 
would surely be lacking in moral perception for the exclusiveness of marriage is the essence of marriage. In other words, if you had a married couple who did not feel any jealousy, if that covenant were violated, they're not thinking rightly. So, so a jealousy that is about protecting that covenant relationship, a jealousy that is about maintaining the sanctity and integrity of that covenant relationship, that is a right, a righteous jealousy. And that is the kind of jealousy that is in God. God's jealousy is of that latter kind, of a zeal to protect that and whom he loves. It is not a vicious jealousy or a selfish jealousy as we often uh, display in our own lives. And so God's jealousy is really an aspect of his covenant love for his people. God's jealousy is an aspect of his covenant love for his own people. And pretty much as you read through scripture, you will find the jealousy of God linked with the sin of idolatry. So the jealousy of God is linked with the sin of idolatry. Why? Because idolatry in scripture is often spoken of in the language of adultery, of breaking a marriage vow. So we, we saw it in Exodus 20. You shall make no graven images, no likeness of anything. Why? Because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So to worship another God is to violate the covenant, the marriage covenant, if you will, between God and his bride, God and his people. So throughout the whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, false worship, idol worship is spoken of in terms of spiritual adultery, breaking the covenant. And that breaking of the covenant, that spiritual adultery provokes righteous jealousy in God for his covenant bride. And that is a holy jealousy. So we read, for example, in 1 Kings 14, 22, Judah did evil in the eyes of the Lord. By the sins they committed, they stirred up his jealous anger. Even more than those who were before them had done. So God's jealous anger is stirred up by the idolatry, the rebellion of his people. Psalm 78, verse 58. They, the people, angered him, angered God with their high places, and they aroused his jealousy with their idols. False worship. And J.I. Packer says, From these passages we see plainly what God meant by telling Moses that his name was jealous. He meant that he demands from those whom he has loved and redeemed utter and absolute loyalty. And he will vindicate his claim by stern action against them if they betray his love by unfaithfulness. That is the jealousy of God. He loves these people. He has redeemed these people. He has brought them out, made them his own people. And they have said, we are your people. And then for them to go and break that covenant, that arouses the jealousy of God to vindicate his own name and to protect that relationship. And he says this, uh, God's jealousy over his people presupposes his covenant love. God's jealousy over his people presupposes his covenant love. And this love is no transitory affection, accidental and aimless, but is the expression of a sovereign purpose. 
God's love is a permanent love. It is a purposeful, sovereign purposeful love. And he says the goal of the covenant love of God is that he should have a people on earth as long as history lasts. And after that should have all his faithful ones of every age with him in glory. Covenant love is the heart of God's plan for his world. God is working out a purpose and that purpose, that objective includes a people that he has shown love to and entered into a covenant with. He jealously, zealously protects that relationship. And so he says God's ultimate objective is threefold to vindicate his rule and righteousness by showing his sovereignty and judgment upon sin, to ransom and redeem his chosen people, and to be loved and praised by them for his glorious acts of love and self-vindication. So he's ransomed and redeemed a people. He's going to be jealous over those people. He desires to be loved and praised by those people exclusively. He's, his righteous jealousy is going to be expressed when those covenant people are unfaithful to him. And so God's name, his love, his purpose are all wrapped up in his expression of jealousy over his covenant people. And then he concludes the chapter by asking, what should our response be to this? As Christians, how should we respond? How, how should we appropriate and apply the jealousy of God? He says two things. One, the jealousy of God requires us to be zealous for God. God is zealous for his own name. We should be too. God is zealous for his own name and for the love that he has for his people. We should have that zeal as well. He quotes from Titus 2.14 that Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So God redeemed us in Christ to love him and to be zealous for him. First Kings 19.10, we see an example in Elijah of the kind of zeal for God that we ought to emulate. First Kings 19.10, Elijah says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah says, even if I'm the only one, I am still zealous for the Lord my God. So one response as Christians that we should have is to be zealous for God, for his name, because he is zealous for his own name. And the second application he has for us as Christians is to remember that the jealousy of God threatens churches which are not zealous for God. The jealousy of God threatens churches which are not zealous for God. In other words, an aspect of God's jealousy is his discipline when his people wander. When his people are unfaithful and wander, God is jealous over them and disciplines them 
to draw them back into faithfulness to that covenant relationship. And so he says the jealousy of God can threaten his churches with discipline if we are not zealous for God. And he brings in the example of Revelation 3, where Jesus, through the Apostle John, is talking to the church at Laodicea. And Jesus says of the church at Laodicea, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And the idea there is to do acts of goodness and love that are useful and purposeful and have God at the center of our motivation. But God says, Jesus says to the church at Laodicea, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So because you're lukewarm, because you have no zeal for me, for my name or for good works, I am going to rebuke and discipline. So be zealous, therefore, be earnest and repent. And that is a call to the church to show forth zeal for God. God is a jealous God. He therefore deserves our zeal, our jealousy for his own name and to protect as he protects to protect the relationship that we have with one another. 